Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Feels like it's been forever. It's been a long three weeks. It's kind of ironic that <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, um, our little girl was in an accident, a car accident, um, on the 11th, about two hours after church ended. And she had a, a traumatic brain injury and had to have surgery to save her life. And then was in a coma. She's um, been taken out of the coma now and is just doing so amazingly well that people just keep coming and looking in her room. But it's funny that, well, not funny, but. Two hours, three hours, four hours before the accident happened, I preached a message about how what we believe isn't moved by circumstance. And how like what we declare in the good times is what keeps us in the hard times. That if we can only believe it when things are good, then what's the point? So today I'm going to preach about how you could get $10 million and it wouldn't change you. Maybe he'll give me an opportunity to walk that one out two hours later. It's okay to laugh. Don't feel guilty. Because the truth of the matter is, is I, you know, you, 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 you preach things and you believe things. And, and you do. You believe them. It's not as if, you know, you just say these things. You really believe them. But then I talked about this that Sunday, how you, you, God puts you in places, um, not that he's causing all these things to happen, but he works everything for good. And you find yourself in these situations, and life comes at you, and life puts you in situations where you actually walk out what you believe. And you prove to yourself, you prove to your heart that you really believe what you say. Because it says if our hearts don't condemn us and we stand before him, then we know we stand before him without sin. And there's something about your heart being convinced that what comes from your mouth is what you actually believe rather than just words that you say because it's convenient or it sounds good or somebody told you. And I've seen the power of that over the past three weeks on, on nights when, when, when I remember one night in particular when things were just going so horribly medically, you know, her blood pressure was into the 180s and her heart rate was just up into the 140s, 150s, and her temperature was going up and up and they couldn't stop it. And and then she started throwing up and, you know, she's on a ventilator on, on life support. And so that's not really a good situation. They can't just take her head and put it over a bucket because, you know, she's got a brain injury and she's in a neck brace. And, and, um, and, I, and it was so pitiful watching that, and I, I just couldn't, for a while, I, I couldn't be in there, and I just, I had to walk out of the room, and I remember as I, I just went and paced, it was four in the morning, and I just was pacing around the hospital, and what I found coming out of me, and it wasn't that I was trying to be okay, you guys, that's the thing that, like, this gospel is so amazing, because it's not like in that moment I was trying to work up something and going, okay, Roy, you got to be okay. I was actually okay because I trusted him, and I was just walking around that hospital floor, and all I was saying was, God, I trust you. God, I trust you with her. She's your daughter before she was mine. God, and you love her more than I do, and I trust you, God. I trust you with her life, God. I trust you with her. Show them what to do. Give them wisdom, God, and I started singing that song, you know, um, God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me vision to see things like you do. And then I started singing, God, I look to you, and, and I won't be overwhelmed. And I started singing, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom to know just what to do. And I just marched around for a couple hours and, and just started sing, just singing that and declaring that. And there's that verse in Philippians where it talks about the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ. And, and I've, I've talked about that and I've known that, but I know even deeper now what it means to have your mind and your heart guarded by the peace of God in Christ. Because it's not something you can fake. It's not something you can make up. It had nothing to do with the numbers on the screen. When the numbers on the screen looked as bad as they could look, there was a peace underneath that that held us in this place of just trusting him and knowing it's going to be okay. She's going to be fine. And And I just don't know what people do apart from the gospel. 
I don't know how you live this life. I don't know how you walk through something like that or even harder things that people have had to walk through if there's not this gospel that holds you and that grips you and that guards your heart and mind. And so I just wanted to say from my wife and me and Jackson and Aaliyah, just we're so thankful for you guys. Like this family is amazing. The love and support and prayers and meals and encouragement and gifts and everything we received. I mean, we can't reply to every one of them and but just know that everything matters. Everything that you do matters. And it's been so incredible just to feel the, the love and support that you guys have and, and to feel the prayers that you guys are praying holding us up when there's times where it feels like you can't hold yourself up. And you know it's just the prayers of people that are interceding on your behalf, that are holding you up and raising your hands. And you're not downtrodden. You're not in despair. And even when things get hard and even when you have a sad moment or you face a hard thing, you know, they come to you and they say, we got to do this procedure. And it's like, you know the last resort kind of thing, and I didn't see it like that. I just was like, okay, God, that must be what you want to do to bring my little girl to where you want her. And, uh, and I think we were kind of shielded from realizing exactly how serious things were. You know, we found out afterwards when the physicians started talking to us about what they expected and didn't expect and seeing her beat every expectation. And, um, yeah, so she's, she's awake. She's talking. Well, whispering sometimes. <laughs> she writes on her board. Um, she's got her little personality back again, and more and more every single day. Um, she's, you know, she feeds herself. She snaps. She remembers everything. She, she remembers everyone. We show her pictures. She remembers when, when things were and, and all that. She doesn't remember short term ever since the accident, but that'll come if, if, if God wants her to. And maybe he doesn't want her to remember that stuff, you know? Maybe he's just wiping that away so that she doesn't have to relive that ever. Um, but man, it's been just incredible to see her uh, just coming alive. I'll tell you one quick story, and I'll get to this message, I promise. I'm just trying not to cry my way through things, all right? <laughs> I promise. All I want to do is just sit here and say thank you to God over and over again and cry. Um, but he has put something in my heart I want to share. Um, but <laughs> she, went to, she went to occupational therapy, you know, and they're working with her on things. And, and the occupational therapist said, um, can, you, um, can you open your mouth for me? She takes her little board and she writes, No, ma'am, I will not open my mouth for you. I am an independent woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but man, I've been I've been sleeping there every night and um Sometimes I go outside, I feel like a vampire, you know, the sun's in the sky, and I'm like, ah, because <laughs> I've been in a hospital for 21 days, literally, like, almost the whole time, um, just going home to shower and change or take care of things that are absolutely necessary, um, but thank you guys so much for just everything you've done, and continue to pray, um, and continue to stand, and just, we're just believing for complete and total restoration of all things. For, we're not, we don't want to settle for like, okay, you know, like we're so thankful, and I don't want to sound ungrateful for what has happened, because we thank God every day for where we are but we're also continually thanking him for where we know that he's taking her. And so that's what we're praying for. People say, what can we pray for specifically? Just pray for that, for complete and total restoration of all things. Um, you know, her neurosurgeon's already calling her a miracle, as is. And uh, like doctors and therapists, the respiratory therapists that intubated her in the trauma bay came up the day they took her in her ventilator out, and he's just standing there with tears in his eyes. And he said, I gotta be honest, I never thought I'd see this. Yeah, and it's just been so amazing. And then uh, I could, man, I'll tell you, like, it's been so incredible just being at the hospital. You know, and that's the power of the gospel. It's like, even during this time, it's been hard. And, and I'm not saying this to boast in ourselves, because, man, on my own, I'd be curled up underneath a bench, a mess, terrified. But it's the power of the gospel that holds you and keeps you. And we've been able to minister to every family that's come into the pediatric intensive care unit in the waiting room. We've prayed for people, saw little kids healed. There's this one little kid, I think Dylan talked about him last week. I prayed with his mom. He came in, he had a huge abscess in his lymph node, and he was supposed to have surgery in the morning. And um, so we prayed. And the next morning about, I think he was supposed to go to surgery at like 9. The next morning about 11 o'clock, she comes walking in. There's this cute little kid with her. And I looked, and I'm like, who's this? And she turns around and looks at me and goes, oh, Oh, I forgot to tell you, this is Carter. I'm like, surgery must have went really well. They didn't need surgery. That thing shrunk. <laughs> For real. She's like, when they went to check him this morning, they couldn't even find it. So they, 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 they said, we're going home. And she, they went home the next day. Um, yeah. 
But you know, we've, we've prayed with people and seen sad things happen. But the truth is, is like we've been able to be there and just give people hope and encourage them and give them the peace because what we have, we give. And even in those moments when, you know, you're facing the hardest thing maybe you've faced ever in your life, you still can take your eyes off your own situation. You can look around, you can see other people that need what you have that maybe don't have what you have. And you lay down your life and you don't worry about what's going on with you because you trust him. And now your eyes are focused on them. The neurosurgeon came in to talk to me one morning and he, he came into the waiting room and someone was there that we know. And he said, where's, where's Roy? Where's dad? And they said, oh, I think he's out in the hallway. And he came, peeked around the corner and there I am. I'm praying for a guy who was there with this little girl who had a, a aneurysm. And he was talking later, and uh, he told me, he said, I've never seen people in the situation that you guys are in be able to look around, see other people, and minister to them. It's the gospel. That's the gospel. So, so, so here's, think about this, this gospel. Jesus is wrongly accused, right? They bring him before Pontius Pilate. And everybody knows this story, but I can't get enough of it because it's just the most amazing thing ever. They bring him before Pontius Pilate, and he's done absolutely nothing wrong. And they're there because they can't stand what he says because it convicts them. They can't stand the way he lives because it challenges them. Listen, I promise you, people are not going to like you in this life because of the way that you live and the things that you say. And it has nothing to do with you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. If they would have loved me, then they would love you. And so don't be discouraged when people don't want you to shut up because what you're saying challenges or convicts them. Jesus never stopped talking. He never shut his mouth except for when God told him to. He constantly kept reminding them of truth and why he was there and who they were. And, and so they, they can't handle it. And so they decide that they're just going to shut him up once and for all. And so they plot to kill him. And they decide they're going to bring him before Pilate. And they're going to accuse him of all these things. And they're going to demand that Pilate crucify him. And so they bring Jesus in front of this man, Pilate. And he, they, they say to him, you know, he needs to be crucified, he needs to be killed because he's broken our laws, he's blasphemed, you know, he said he's the king of the Jews, and all these things. And, and Jesus stands there completely innocent, completely perfect, having done nothing wrong, and they hurl accusation at him, and he doesn't even defend himself. And they say, Pilate says, is it true? He says, you said it so. Pilate and the religious leaders never said he was the son of God. It was the demonic realm that said he was the son of God. Remember when they would see him, the demoniac would yell out, what do you want from us, son of God? Why have you come to torment us before your time? Jesus isn't even talking to the people because he's not, convinced, he's not concerned with flesh and blood. He looks right at the accuser. He looks right at the enemy and all the hosts. And if you could see in the spirit that day, I guarantee you every bit of hell was present for a front row seat to see this king, this son of God killed because they thought this is it. If we can do this, if we can get them to do this, then we win forever and we're free and we'll have dominion forever. And so all of hell is there for a front row seat to see Jesus accused that Jesus looks right at all of hell and says, you said it so. He's just reminding them, I'm here for you. My fight's not with them. My fight's with you. And Pilate tries to take Jesus off their hands and off his hands because he, he questions him and he, and, he, and he knows and his wife has a dream and, and, and she knows and she says, have nothing to do with this man. He's He's, 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 just don't, don't have anything to do with his death because she understands that he really is who he says he is. And, and Pilate, I believe, believes that he's the son of God. I think we'll see Pilate in heaven. I really do. I believe that he believed that Jesus was because when it was time to nail him to a cross, I'll probably jump around a little bit. That's okay. But when it was time to nail him to a cross, he wrote on the, on the plaque that hung over Jesus' head, here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. And the Jewish people came to him and they were infuriated because it was just one more reminder for everyone to see as they stood up. And listen, I promise you, as the demonic realm stared at him, they had to stare straight at that plaque that said, here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they said, no, 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 right. He said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate looked at them and said, I've written what I've written. I'm not changing it. Why? Because he knew who Jesus was. And so he's trying to get, listen, we think that he's being cruel, but he's not. He's trying to get Jesus off his hands. That's why he chooses Barabbas. He thinks, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll bring Jesus out and don't get me the two thieves. Don't go get the two thieves that are in jail that are going to be crucified today too. Get me the worst of the worst. Get me the murderer. Get me the insurrectionist. Get me the one who's caused pain and, and harm and has killed people. Bring the worst of the worst out here and I'll stand him next to Jesus. And I promise, I guarantee they'll say, let Jesus go and kill Barabbas because he's a murderer. And so he doesn't want Jesus to be killed. And he's trying his best to get Jesus off. But he doesn't understand Jesus' life isn't in his hands any more than it's in the hands of the ones who are accusing him. Because he said, nobody takes my life from me, but that I willingly lay it down. 
And so he gets Barabbas and he parades Barabbas out there and he, and, and he brings Jesus out and he says, okay, because there's this custom that he lets someone go. And he says, okay, whom would you have me let go? Now listen, if he really wanted to crucify Jesus, why didn't he get the common thief? Why didn't he pick the one who had simply stolen, the easiest to forgive, and parade him next to Jesus so that they would say, let the thief go because he didn't want to kill Jesus because he wanted nothing to do with the shedding of Jesus' blood. So he prays Barabbas out there, and the enemy is thinking, I got him. So you remember he tempts him in the, in, the, in the desert, right? It says he comes to Jesus, and he tempts him three times, and three times Jesus defeats him. And then it says he left him alone for an opportune time. Well, here's his opportune time, because he thinks that every man will love their own life more than the, love the people around them. And that if it comes to choosing my life over yours, I'll choose mine every time. He doesn't believe that we believe what we say. I promise you, the enemy's been so angry these past three weeks as he's seen every one of us stand and faithfully declare what we believe in the face of what we see. Because he thinks every man's a liar. Because he's a liar from the beginning. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. And so he brings, he has Barabbas there for his own reasons. And he's thinking, well, when Jesus sees that they'd rather have a murderer set loose, that'll convince him that they're not worth it. See, this whole time, he's trying to convince Jesus that humanity is not worth it. This whole time. That's why he's moving in the hearts of people. He moves in someone closest to him to betray him. Why? He's trying to plant that seed in Jesus that says they're not worth it. It's why he has Judas betray Jesus. You know that old saying, well, it's the people that are closest to you that can hurt you the most. No, it's the people that are closest to you that the enemy will try to use to hurt you. But whether you let them hurt you or not is your choice. You can hurt for them, but you don't have to choose to be, you don't have to be offended by them. He wanted Jesus to be offended. He wanted Jesus to look at Judas and say, are you kidding me? You'll sell me for 30 pieces of silver after everything I've done. I just washed your feet. And for 30 pieces of silver, you'll be trained. Why? Because he's trying to get Jesus to think for himself over and over and over and over again. So Barabbas is here and Jesus is there. Whom shall I release? Barabbas, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Doesn't faze Jesus in the least because he knows where he's going. That people had no more choice in that matter. It had to be Barabbas. It couldn't be him. Because he's got an appointment to lay his life down for every one of us. And he knows it. He's already accepted it three times in the garden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass before me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Three times he prays that way. Three times the Lord settles in his heart, it's my will. Three times Jesus settles in his own heart, then that's what I'll do. So they say, give us Barabbas. And I love this. I, I was looking in my notes um, from a few years ago, because I was trying to find one God has shown me. So it was like, I think, five years, six years ago, 2012, I think, or when I read where they said, he said, well, what should I do with this Jesus? And I said, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And I read that line years ago, and God spoke to me and said, what they asked me for in hatred, I gave them in love. And one day, every one of them would bow their knee and thank him that he was crucified and that his blood was not only upon them, but upon their children. They just had no idea. They had no clue. He's about to crush the enemy. He's about to destroy the plans of the enemy. He's about to break the back of the enemy, take back everything that was lost, everything that was stolen, everything that was surrendered in the garden. He's about to snatch it back from the enemy and make a mockery and a display of him on the cross, according to Colossians. Give us Barabbas. Jesus doesn't even flinch. He doesn't even for one second look around and go, he's a murderer. I'm an innocent man. How dare you do that? He doesn't care. And then they say, okay, Pilate has him scourged and says, I take my hands off him. This man's blood will not be upon my hands. Hands him over to the leaders, and they crucify him. And they think, you know, they're just trying. They think they're being cruel, and the enemy's moving in their hearts to try to get Jesus to give up and try to get Jesus to back down. It's why they, they, they nailed his hands to the cross. They, they always tied people's hands to the cross. 
That was the way they crucified people. You didn't die from bleeding. You died from suffocation. You would hang there tied like this, and you had your feet tied, and eventually the weight of your own body would be so great that you couldn't push yourself up and to breathe and lift your diaphragm to breathe. That's how people died. It's why if they hung on for too long and they lived for too long, they would come around, they would break their legs so they could no longer push off with their legs to lift themselves to breathe. You died of suffocation. But the enemy is trying so hard to get Jesus to back down. And so he moves in the heart of these men, and they decide they're going to nail his hands to the cross. They have no clue what they're doing. They fashion a crown of thorns, and they shove it onto his head. They have no idea what they're doing. The prophetic picture that that would paint as he hung there on a cross with blood on his head and blood dripping down the sides. The man who said that he was the door, that everyone who came to the Father had to come through him, that he was the door, the gate to the Father. Remember the Passover when they slayed the lamb of the... Of the of, put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. They put it on the top of the door. They put it on the sides of the door. And everybody that passed through that door would be passed over by the angel of death who was coming on behalf of the Lord to destroy. And then they take the one who said he's the door and they shove a crown of thorns into his head and they pierce his hands and blood runs over the top of the, of the door and down the sides of the door. And everybody who passes through him would be passed over from what was coming in the judgment of God. They have no clue what they're doing. They're being played, and they don't even know it. And he knows, and he doesn't care. Do to me what you want. I'm not here for me. You can beat me. You can spit on me. You can call me names. Do everything you want to me, because I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And so they nail him to the cross, and we're going to take communion. We talk about this a lot when we take communion, but... I just, this picture, when the Lord showed me this, I just, I can't get it out of my head because, head because it says in Colossians that the record that was hostile against us was nailed to the cross with him. So just, this is everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. The record, and the enemy could come at any time that he wanted to, and he could open up that record, and he could start making accusation, he could bring your past up to you and say, How, who do you think that you are? Don't you remember? And start telling you the things that you've done wrong. Start reading that record that was hostile against you, reminding you of your past, reminding you of the things that you've done. And that record that was hostile against, Paul writes in Colossians, he says, it was nailed to the cross with Christ. Now, if they tie his hands... And, 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 and put him on the cross and tie his hands, then, then they can't be nailed to the cross with him. But there's something even more significant than that. It's not just that it was nailed. It's what happens. You ever, you ever had a, a bloody nose and you take a piece of paper and you hold it up to the blood and it just instantly turns the paper red as it saturates and soaks into the paper and then eventually you have to get another one and another one and another one. And, and so they take this, this, this record that was hostile. God holds it up there, and they take his hand. They put his hand there, and it's nailed, right? And so they take his hand, they put it there, they take a spike, and they put it through his hand, and they drive it through the record that's hostile against you. And the precious blood of Jesus Christ flows onto that record that was hostile against you and completely dissolves and absorbs. And as it drips to the ground, every accusation drips to the ground with it. And the record that was hostile against you is wiped out once and forever. So the next time the enemy opens that up to make accusation, all he sees is the blood. There's nothing he can say. He, they have no idea. You can't make this up. That's why it's too good to be true. And so now they've nailed him to a cross. And, you know, the first nail, you know, like, you ever gone through something that was bad? Like, you know, something that hurts? The first time, it's usually not as bad as the second time if you have to do it again. Because the first time, you really don't know what to expect. And it's a shock and all that stuff. But the second time, it's like... You know, you know what's coming. And they think that if they can just be cruel enough to him, that the enemy believes if he can just be cruel enough, if he can just hurt him enough, if he can just do enough to him, he'll get Jesus to look around and decide these people aren't worth it. And so they, they nail that first nail through. And I can't even imagine the pain that he felt. And now there's a second nail. And now he knows what it's going to feel like. He still doesn't care. But now it's his feet. And I promise you the enemy's whispering in his ear. You think the hands were bad? Wait till they go through both feet. And he's hanging, laying or laying on a cross, and he can't move now. He's got blood running down his face, and there's blood running down his hands. And I just picture Jesus looking over, watching the blood leak from his hands, seeing in the spirit what's going on, watching it as that paper, that record that's hostile against you and me just gets 
Start soaking up that blood, do you think, and just keep talking? Because you're being distracted. And then they take his feet and they put his feet together. I can't imagine what that was like. And then they take him and they raise him up. And they would have these pockets in the stone where they would put the crosses and they would get them upright. And then the cross would drop down into that thing. And it's just think about this, right? You're nailed to a cross. They raise you up and all of a sudden you know it's coming and you can't stop it. That cross is going to drop and slam down into that rock and come to a jarring halt. And all that's holding you on that wood is nails. And they're raising him the whole time. He's not thinking one bit about the drop that's coming. Because he'd already told them, now is the time for judgment. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw it all to me. Your Bible doesn't say I'll draw all men to myself. It's not what he says. He said, now is the time for judgment on the earth. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. And it says he said this to say the manner in which he would die. What's he saying? If they're dumb enough (laughs) to nail me to that cross, when they lift me up, I'll draw every bit of judgment to myself because now is the time for judgment on the earth. So as they raise him up, the enemy's probably going, oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're about to drop. You're going to go through that drop. Get ready. Because all this time, he just wants Jesus to say, okay, it's enough. I've had enough. He wants Jesus to back down. He wants Jesus to think for himself just for a second, have a selfish thought like the first Adam did in the garden when he ate the fruit. That's all he wants is just one selfish thought. For one second, Jesus, to look around and think of himself rather than the people that are in front of him. And he can't even do it. And they bring him up. And that thing drops, and Jesus jars, and now the blood starts to drop. And the blood of Jesus falls to the ground the same way the blood of Abel did. And as the blood of Abel screams out for justice, the blood of Jesus silences it, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, they had no idea. (laughs) They just had no idea what they were doing. If they'd have known, they would have never done it. In fact, had they known who he was, had the enemy known the plan of God, he would have killed everyone that tried to kill Jesus. And he would have done all that he could to keep Jesus alive forever. See, listen, we think that death, we see it as a bad thing. You know, the truth of the matter is is that when death entered with sin, it was actually the kindness of God. Because had death not entered into the garden when man sinned, then we would forever live in this unregenerated, sinful state, unable to be reconciled to the Father, and the Lamb could never come and be slain and give his life because there would be no such thing as death. The very fact that Jesus could die was the goodness of God. And so now he's hanging there, and he's looking out, and he's seeing the very people who did this thing to him. And here's the gospel. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the amazing thing about this is, is that he says, then he says, Eloi, Eloi, Labathabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He yielded up his spirit and he dies. They place him in that tomb. And then, this is my interpretation. We'll find out when we get in heaven that I'm right. <laughs> but remember when God took the first Adam, he formed him, and he bent down and he breathed into him, and he breathed his spirit into him, and life came into him. I believe at some point, when Adam died, when Adam lost what he was born with, that breath returned back to the Father. And just like he exhaled it into Adam's lungs, I believe he inhaled it back in. And he's just waiting for the second Adam so that once again that breath could fill the lungs of a man who would be perfect. But this time, he'd be perfect for all time. And I believe as Jesus is laying there, wherever he's laying, once again, because remember, he's the second Adam, the last Adam. Once again, the father kneels over his creation and gets face to face with him 
And he breathed his spirit into him. And it fills Jesus' lungs. And the Son of God rises up. And he's alive. And he's going to live forever. And then Jesus comes back. He finds his disciples. What does he do? He breathes on them. He says, receive the spirit. And I believe what was happening there was that same breath that brought life to man originally, that brought new life to, the, to Jesus, was being breathed into them. And Jesus said that those who are in me, though they sleep, they will never die. And so the gospel is not just simply that he died to take away our sins. That's amazing. And if that was all he ever did, man, that would be amazing. And we would celebrate him forever. But he actually came and died and then rose again so that he could become the firstborn of many brethren. And then he said, follow me. And he said that he called us to be like him. And it says those who are in Christ have this confidence that as he is, so also are we in this world. Come on, you, you can't make that up. What a privilege, what an honor. And listen, here's what I believe. I believe this is, this is one of the most amazing examples of this. And it just went, I think that God did this just to prove to the enemy what was done on the cross and how real it really was. Open your Bibles, though. I've quoted a lot of scripture. We'll make it official with some, you'll read it in, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 7. And we're going to take communion. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, here we have another man filled with the Spirit of God, doing amazing things, preaching the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel to the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin. And they can't stand it because what he's saying is convicting them. And once again, the religious leaders of the day want to silence the one who's speaking by killing them and shedding their blood. And it says in, in, chapter, in chapter 7, verse 54, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now listen to this, because I think this was God mocking in, in, in the enemy. Because listen to the words that come out of Stephen's mouth. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember Jesus on the cross, Father, into your hands. I commend my spirit. And then the last thing he says, he says, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now it's not just for Jesus. Now it's for every person who would be called according to his name, who would believe in him, that they would actually deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him, even to the point of death, where men with stones in their hands and hatred in their eyes are staring at him. And all he can do when he looks back is think, I want to be with you forever. They think, we don't want to be with you for one more minute. They don't want to see him. They can't stand him. They hate him. And they don't want to see him or hear him for one more second. And he's looking at them and he's saying, all I want to do is be with you forever. Father, don't hold their sins against them. Sounds a lot like our king. And I believe in that moment, the very, for the very first time, the enemy realized not only had he been defeated at the cross, but now he was going to be defeated over and over and over and over and over again. As people who are born again, filled with the Spirit of God, following their King, would love not their own lives unto death and would follow Jesus, even to the place of looking at the people who are about to kill them and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the power of the gospel. It's not just so one day you go to heaven. It's so that heaven can come back inside of us the way we were designed for, the way that God created us for. You realize that before sin, God told man to be fruitful and multiply. It wasn't so that humans could live on forever because before sin, there was no death. When he said be fruitful and multiply, there wasn't even the idea of death on the earth yet. It wasn't so that, that the humanity could be passed down from generation to generation at that point. It was because God loved relationship with man so much, he wanted them to be fruitful. He wanted them to multiply, and he wanted that same thing that he had with Adam to be multiplied over and over and over again to walk in relationship with man in perfect communion with him. And he wants the same thing with us. He's a father in love with his children. We got to understand that this Easter, everything we're talking about is all about the fact that the father loved us. 
See, sometimes if we're not careful, we get this idea that, you know, Holy Spirit leads me, Jesus loves me, and the Father just kind of tolerates me because of Jesus. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. He came because the Father loved you, not so that the Father could. You were never, ever unloved. So, Father, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the price that was paid on the cross. We thank you, God, for everything that you've done, God, and all that you will do. God, we thank you that we can walk and be held by the power of this gospel, that you came and you lived a perfect, sinless life and then offered your life as a sacrifice in our place and paid the debt that we couldn't pay. The unpayable debt, the ransom of sin, you paid it on our behalf, and then you said all that believe in me would be born again and would live everlasting life. He said that that anyone who believes in you, confesses with their mouth what they believe in their heart would be saved, wouldn't perish. He said that you came to seek and save that which was destroyed. Everything that was lost in the garden has been redeemed and restored through the obedience of of the second Adam. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that today we get to celebrate what Jesus accomplished both on the cross in his death and on Easter in his resurrection and in his life and that he lives forever to make intercession on our behalf, forever a priest in the order of Melchizedek at the right hand of the Father. And now we've been called to be seated in heavenly places with him in Christ. God, we thank you for that. We thank you so much for this gospel that we have, this good news, this hope, this peace that passes all understanding, that holds us, even when there's storms raging around us, God, that it holds us in a place that we could never try to find and get to by ourselves, and you place us there, and you hold us in the palm of your hand, and the gospel keeps us. It never leaves us, and it gives us a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't come from what we understand. It comes from who we know. God, I thank you that that's so real and so powerful. God, I ask if there's any person in this place today that doesn't know you in that way, that they would surrender their lives. God, all you asked us to give up is things that we were never meant to have anyways, guilt, shame, condemnation, sin, self-hatred, self-loathing. God, that even though we would disqualify ourselves, you've never disqualified us because of what we've done. You guys realize that's why Jesus said, go tell my disciples and Peter? Why does he single out Peter? Because he's not one of the disciples? No, Peter was one of the disciples. Because he knows Peter's going to disqualify himself because he's denied me. He hates himself. He loathes himself. He hates what he's done. He feels like such a failure. And if I say, go tell my disciples, Peter won't include himself in that group because they'll say, I'm not worthy to be called a disciple because I didn't follow him. I actually denied him three times before the rooster crowed. So he says, make sure and tell my disciples and Peter. Peter, Why? What's he saying? He's saying, Peter, I don't look at you any differently just because you denied me. What you've done has nothing to do with who you are. I still call you Peter. Notice he didn't say, tell my disciples and Simon. Why? Because he's already called him Peter, and once he calls him Peter, he never changes his mind about him again, no matter what it looks like on the outside. Come on. That's the love he has for you and I. You guys, listen to me. If any of you here, I'm not going to do the head bad, eye closed, because it's not a, a, listen, this is the most amazing thing ever, that, that God would offer us eternity with him, not just one day when we die, but now that you can know him, be filled with the spirit of God and walk in relationship with him and know him and come to a place where, listen, I, there were times where, where all I could do was just sit on my knees and sit before him and say, God, you promised to be a father to me. You have to father me right now. I need a dad. And he came. He always comes. There's a peace that you can find in him that you can anchor in. And you can walk through, I'm telling you, you can walk through the hardest storm of your life. And though you're looking around and you look to your right or to your left sometimes, you know, even though you know you shouldn't, right? You look around and what you see doesn't look good. When you look forward, all you see is Jesus and suddenly everything begins to disappear. And all you see is him. Come on, if you don't have that and you want that today, it's not... You know, this isn't some, you know, you just say a prayer and then go back to living life as normal. And it's not say a prayer and now you're in, you've got your fire insurance. One day when you die, you'll go to heaven. No, it's, it's you, you actually confess with your, with your mouth what you believe in your heart. And it's a lifelong journey of following him. But every journey starts with the first step. And the first step is to understand I need a savior. I need salvation. I need what he paid for on the cross. I can't save myself. That record that's hostile against me is real. And I need to receive everything that he bled and died for. And I need a savior. And I can't save myself. If there's anybody here who'd like to do that before we take communion, we would love to welcome you today into the family of God. Is there anybody that wants to do that before we move on?
just raise your hand up where you are. We'll pray with you, and we'll get on with taking communion together. Anybody, don't, don't, like, don't worry. Listen to me. Everyone around you is hoping you're going to raise your hand. Don't let what people around you might think. If you do let it, what they think influence you, it'd be to raise your hand because they all want you to do it. Because everybody wants to see everybody know a king like Jesus. Everybody needs a king like Jesus. You were created for it. Is there anybody, real quick, before we go, raise your hand and I'll pray with you. If not, yeah, there's one person. Is there anybody else? Come on. Is there anybody else before we move on? No? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Yeah, that's a, listen, all of heaven celebrates. We could probably do a little celebrating too, right? So think about this, right? Think about the party on Easter Sunday just because so many people go to church and hear the gospel on Easter. It says all of heaven rejoices when even one is saved, right? And so there's a constant celebration going on in heaven, right? So some of you guys need to be buried with earplugs because you can't handle it on earth. But... <laughs> I've been in a hospital for 21 days. Give it a little grace, all right? I can take a jab here and there. Listen, imagine what's going on in heaven right now is all around the world. People are hearing the gospel, and people are responding, and hearts are coming alive, and people are crossing over from death into life. So here's what we're going to do. If that was you that raised your hand, and if you didn't, maybe you didn't want to raise your hand because you've been a Christian for so long, it would look ridiculous for you to raise your hand. Because you know what? There's a lot of people who have grown up in church who know him, know all about him, but have never surrendered their life and never received what he died on a cross for them to receive. So if that's you, maybe it's on the podcast. You can pray this. This is all we're going to do. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on a cross and was resurrected, that you'll be saved. That's all we're going to do is we're going to believe with you. We're going to agree with you. We're going to pray with you. So Father God, we just thank you right now. You just open your mouth and tell him, God, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were resurrected, and I believe that you shed your blood for my sins. I need a Savior. Would you come and, say, and, and be the Lord of my life? I surrender my life over to you. Just open up your mouth and let what's in your heart come flowing out. It's not a magic prayer. It's a position of the heart. And out of the abundance of your heart, what you're feeling right now, your mouth begins to speak. And confession is made unto salvation. Father, we ask right now that you would send your Holy Spirit to come and just take up residence, and he would come and lead and guide into all truth, that he would make all things new. I thank you that every sin that's ever been and ever will be has been blotted out by the blood of your son, Jesus, and we thank you for this one who's been reconciled now to you. God, we ask that you would come and just father him, walk with him, show him what life looks like in your kingdom as you designed it to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. We're going to start in the back. If you're in the back row, stand up real quick. We're going to try this one more time again. (laughs) All right, we're going to have two rows, two lines coming down. If you're sitting on this side, your line will be on this side. If you're on this side, your line will be on that side. And we're going to come down, even if you've got to go shoulder to shoulder, it's okay. Start coming down now. Yep, two lines, not one line, two lines, one on each side. Yep, come on. Just grab your, your bread, which is so lovingly baked by our very own Tyra. Yeah, and it's an amazing banana bread, so you can taste and see that the Lord is good. For real, because he's good. He is good. So, yeah, just grab a a piece of bread and juice, and then we're going to take communion together. Just take it back to your seat. We're going to take it together as a family. We get to celebrate today. Listen, there's people all over the world right now that are celebrating the risen king with us, and we join together with the family of God, and we thank him for who he is and what he's done. And as we take communion today, we're not just taking communion ourselves. As a family, we're taking it, but as a greater family with, with gatherings of Jesus lovers all around the world, we're all taking communion together. Yeah, this, this side go this way, this side go that way. Yep, you can, two lines just like that. Yeah, there you go. It's like herding cats. <laughs> Thanks, man. Good to see you. So we remember his death, but we also celebrate his resurrection. And so there's this, there is this bittersweetness, you know, of the thought of our Savior being beaten and, and crucified and, and them hurling insults at him. But then there's also this beautiful reminder that he didn't stay dead, that he rose, and that he lives forever, and that he's the firstborn of many brethren. I talked about this a couple years ago, but I'll just share this while they're coming up, just how complete the redemption is. 
And I was reading the, the Christmas story, actually. around. I like to read the Christmas story around Easter time, just because you see all these parallels. And, and I was thinking about how the very first person that touched Jesus was Mary, the pure, born, the pure virgin, who was spotless and untouched. And when she gave birth to Jesus and held him in her arms, she was the first to touch him. And then I thought about how the first person to touch Jesus, born again when he came out of the grave, was a woman named Mary, touched by many men, have demons cast out of her. Yet she is the first person to touch Jesus after he's born again out of the cross, back to new life. And I was thinking about that and just, just this marveling at the irony that when Jesus cleansed Mary of her sin, that she was just as perfect as the Virgin Mary who had never been touched by a man to begin with. That you're not just a fixed up version of you, that when Jesus comes and makes all things new, that things really are new. You're not just like fixed up, you know, a better version of you. She was just as clean in the eyes of God as the one who started out clean, untouched by man. It's just so incredible to think about that. All the parallels that you see. You know, the reason that they, they paid Judas to, I believe the reason they paid Judas to, to kiss Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They tried to kill him. They tried to push him off cliffs. They tried to, they were going to take him out outside the city and stone him. They came and questioned him. Oh, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to trick him. They were plotting on how to kill him. They knew who Jesus was. Why did they have to have a man come and kiss Jesus? It's because God was undoing in the garden everything that was done in the second garden. So in the first garden, you have Adam, the first Adam, influenced by the enemy, puts his lips on fruit and betrays God. And now in the garden of Gethsemane, you have Adam, the second Adam. And man, once again, comes and puts his lips on fruit. Because Jesus said that he's the first fruit of God. And man, once again, puts his lips on fruit in a garden and betrays God. But this time, it's to win back all that was lost. The first time man touched his lips to fruit and betrayed God in the garden. He was undoing everything. And people had no idea. They had no clue. Yeah, once everybody's got theirs, we'll all take it together. Just one, if there's leftovers, you can come back and get more after the service. Oh, we're out of blood on the right side. <laughs> we got plenty of body, but we're out of blood over there. There we go. Speaking of blood and all the things like that, I just something cute that when when Jackson was young, I was teaching him about bow hunting, and I was teaching him where we shoot deer. I, I, I bow hunt deer, and I was teaching him where you shoot them, and I was telling him, you know, if you shoot it here, then you get the heart. It's quick. Uh, it's an easy kill, easy to find. And he says, no, Dad, you can't shoot the deer in the heart. And I said, he was little. I said, why? He said, what if Jesus is in there? He did. So I had to have a talk with him about how deer and dogs and all those animals don't have Jesus in their heart. I'm sorry. Hannah said, mine does. <laughs> you hold on to that, Hannah. <laughs> All right, does everyone have their stuff?
I love you guys. I really do. I'm so thankful to get to be part of this family. So Paul said that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you and for many. When they had him, before they took him to the cross, they beat him. And it says, by his stripes were healed. He could have just died, but he took everything that we deserved so that we could have all that he deserved through his obedience. He was mocked because we deserved to be mocked. He was scorned because we deserved to be scorned. He was abandoned because we deserved to be abandoned. He was abused because we deserved abuse. He was beaten because we deserved to be beaten. He took everything that we deserved so that we could have all that he deserved in this beautiful exchange that took place at the cross and the resurrection. So let's take the body of Christ and hold it up. God, we thank you for your body. We thank you that it was bruised and broken and torn so that we could be mended, healed, and whole. In Jesus' name. And he said on the same night, he also took the cup. And he said, this cup's a new covenant in my name, in my blood. And what he's saying is these old covenant that you had before, that where every year there had to be blood that was shed by the blood of bulls and goats that God never wanted to begin with. I'm replacing that with a new covenant. My blood will take the place of that. And it says in Hebrews that he paid the penalty once for all that he paid, made the sacrifice once for all, that there would no longer need to be continual sacrifice made because Jesus was the perfect lamb who was slain once for the sin of the entire world. And now we can stand before him and boldly enter into his throne in our time of need because the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And we stand before him as clean as Jesus because the blood of Jesus has taken everything and made all things new. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. God, we love you, and we're so thankful that our family grew today by one more, or however many more. And we just ask, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, God, that we would never lose the joy of our salvation. God, that it would be an anchor for our souls that would hold us in everything that we face, in good and in bad, that this gospel would anchor us and keep us in a place where we only see you. We trust you. We believe you. And we give our lives to you and we lay our lives down for others, God, as we follow in the footsteps of our King, Jesus Christ. We love you. We're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.